This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, And I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. Hardwood Knox listeners, what the heck is up? I am Dan Valley. We are here. We are continuing on with our decade player rankings, which means that it's time to speak with Adam Frommel, quality editor for Bleacher Report, also the founder and editor-in-chief of NBA Math. Follow him on Twitter at Frommel09. Also a good friend and colleague of mine, if you didn't catch that by knowing where he works at Bleacher Report. You really shouldn't need this intro either because we recorded so many of these episodes, and he is a Hardwood Knox OG, one of the founding Hardwood Knox members as well. Before we get started with the Golden State Warriors and their 10 best players of the decade, just the usual housekeeping notes. First and foremost, please continue rating, reviewing, and subscribing to us on iTunes. The numbers have been a little stagnant when we're looking at the the ratings and reviews. Please keep those coming in. That is the best way to help the podcast, even if you're getting the podcast from a different medium like like Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play. We are at all of them, but still, please rate and review us on iTunes and subscribe. If you've done all that, Word of mouth is very much appreciated. Retweet our promos on Twitter. Tell your friends, family members, acquaintances, random people on social media. We appreciate it all. Follow us on Twitter at Hardwood Knox. Follow our YouTube channel where you can find all these decade player rankings. Uh, YouTube.com. Search Hardwood Knox. We will come up. Subscribe. Like our videos. That's appreciated as well. And last but certainly not least, shout out to our sponsors who make this podcast possible. As always, betonline.ag and Blue Chew. You will be hearing from them in just a few moments. With all that stuff now said, Adam, how are you doing? I am doing fantastic. The weather is nice. I get to walk my dogs in a little bit. Life is good on the uh, on the the neighborhood that I'm being confined to. <laughs> Yeah, I have my dog is like sleeping on the couch away from me. I'm giving him a little freedom this time away from his bubble. So I'm hoping he doesn't go rogue mid podcast. That's where I mean, I, I hope he does make an appearance. We're working against the puppy clock here, folks. We're working. We do. We do record these with video on. So I like I very much hope that he replaces you on the screen like throughout the entire episode. Uh, people will hear him if, if that ends up being the case. He was in my lap for the previous episode when we did the Pistons. We are, however, on to the Warriors, and I feel like I'm screaming into my microphone the past couple episodes when I've been editing these. I feel like the bass is really up there, so I need to I need to be a little bit more cognizant of that. You're just really fired up about the Pistons. Yeah, I'm, I just get excited talking about Michigan sports. You know this. Um, the Warriors, though. Let's just get right into it. Who is, who's number 10 in the composite ranking for the Warriors? 
Yeah, number 10 was was the tough spot. Um, you know, each of us had a guy at 10 who did not end up making the composite rankings. I had Maurice Spates, you had Brandon Rush. Um, the fans had Harrison Barnes down at number 10, but they had Monte Ellis at number nine, which was enough to get him into the 10 spot. I don't hate it. He was only there for like a season and a half during the decade that we're actually looking at. Valuable scorer, maybe didn't make the team better, but the Warriors dynasty wouldn't have started if they didn't move away from him. Um, and if he wasn't the precursor, so like, I, I kind of get it, but ultimately like we're, we're looking at the 10th spot as a straggler behind the very obvious top nine. Yeah. Nothing to add to you there though. I think, I do think we forget how solid Brandon Rush was during his time with the Warriors and he played in more games and he was there for longer than you think during this time. Shot and the same for Spates, but I just, I didn't have any objective evidence for him. Like you're about to present. I just liked watching him shoot long twos. Well, he had the brand. I think you remember Marie Spades more than you do Brandon Rush during this decade. I think that's fair Probably to say. so. I am surprised that Harrison Barnes was number 10 in the fan vote. I did I not see that coming. I know. Yeah, no, that, that really surprised me. And, uh, you know, our, our, our ex-colleague at Bleacher Report and current friend Jacob Bourne refused to, uh, to include him in his top 10 when he submitted the ballot. And I wonder if it was like kind of similar for a lot of people where, you know, maybe just him not really becoming more than a role player in Golden State and, and not living up to that sky high potential that he had when he left North Carolina, maybe like just didn't he wasn't as as memorable or as as positively memorable maybe and and that pushed him down ballots i i didn't really have maybe, a good explanation maybe they're just traumatized from the 2016 playoffs just all the missed missed corner mm, that's, threes that's fair shot 40.9 percent on two pointers that that might be a little bit he certainly belongs in the top 10 shame on jacob born shame on jacob i mean for most things but but this especially <laughs> so number nine ends up being then monte ellis you said correct uh, number 10 was Monte Ellis. Num- he was number okay. nine on the fan ballot. Yeah. Sorry, gotcha. I should have made that more clear. But number nine in the composite was Andrew Bogut. He was my number nine as well. And look, there's, I might be a little bit lower on him just because I think what unlocked the Warriors' potential was they end up, you know, putting, like, fielding the death lineup at his expense. My whole thing, though, is he did play a huge role in uh, assembling what became a top tier defense for a very long period of time. Without that trade itself, we don't know if the Warriors become the Warriors. Is that because Andrew Bogut helped give them such a great defensive identity or because it just liberated Steph from playing with Monte Ellis? You know, maybe a combination of the two. And so he he certainly deserves recognition. But when you look at all the games that mattered most for the Warriors in the playoffs, I think there are a bunch of people, pretty much everyone in front of him, with the exception of one who I think goes, we're going with the thereness factor for him. He was just, everyone else was just more important to the outcome of, of most of those bigger games than he ever was. Yeah. Uh, I, I, the, the screens, the defense, the willingness to accept a smaller offensive role. I, I mean, if you look back at the beginning of his career, like he was featured in some of those Milwaukee offenses, never as like a 20 points per game guy, but coming out of Utah, like he did have offensive potential and for him to to totally sacrifice those touches as soon as he came to Golden State in 2012 is a big deal and I, I think that that willingness to sacrifice even before the team became the juggernaut that it was really did help set the stage for that dynastic run and and that's the kind of thing that it's hard to to quantify but it was it was very obviously impactful one of the more underrated passes passers at his position as well too and that was also a big Thing of what helped the worst. Not only are you dealing with, you know, uh, fewer shots once you come to Golden State, but he's also deferring more as well. And so, oh. 
I wonder if Steph would have been as good an off-ball mover and shooter as he is now without playing with Bogut during the early portion of his career. Like, if he wasn't rewarded for that movement to the extent that he was, would he have prioritized that part of his development? That's a good question, although it seems like Mark Jackson was just dead set on not really having Stephen Curry develop on offense at all, and so maybe he always would have needed to learn how to go off the ball. And please note that Mark Jackson did not receive any votes. <laughs> Insofar as coaches ever get voted for in this, he better not receive any votes. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. Hardwood Knox listeners, NASCAR is back, and Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 7. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness style NFL simulation tournament that you can enter for free. And coming up next Sunday, Bet Online has ex Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. Who received the vote at number eight, though? At number eight was unanimously Sean Livingston. Uh, the fans, you and I, all had him at number eight, which I think is valid. You know, a, a, a very solid role player, a deadly mid-range jumper. I mean, I, I think that's what we associate with him most obviously. Um, but you know, what a what a success story for him to be such a promising prospect with the Clippers, just destroy his knee on that layup right. attempt gone wrong, and then come back to be such an integral part of this team for such a long amount of time. Yeah. And look, his defensive bandwidth too, like just, he had wing range, even though he was uh, essentially deployed as, as a point guard. And so you have like a nice backup facilitator, someone who's money from the mid range, but then also you can just move about on the defensive end all over the place. I think that was a huge part of their defensive identity is that they didn't have to sacrifice too much of it when they're tapping into their bench, just because you have these, you know, right down to Iguodala when he, when he came over, you have those wing type players coming off the pine and, and Livingston was just a huge part of all that. And there, you know, most of the advanced metrics aren't going to love him relative to others, but you're dealing with a lot of counting stats there, cumulative stats, because he just wasn't playing as much. Who knows if he would have, he's, he's eighth in minutes for Golden State during this decade, but would he, if he was on another team, would he have gotten more minutes? Could he handle more minutes? It does feel like this was sort of the perfect situation for him, but he also left an imprint that no one could have really foreseen when, when he first came over in 2015, I think it was, was it 2000, 2014? It was 2014. So yeah, I mean, I totally, I think you could probably even, if you wanted to say that he belonged over a Harrison Barnes or a David Lee, no spoilers alert, I'd, I'd probably listen to it. Yeah, it's one of those where like the Warriors were consistently worse with him on the court. And that's a great example of why the idea of like the, the net rating swing isn't always the end all be all. Just because he had to replace Curry in so many of these lineups. You know, he had to be the steadying force of that second unit. Um, and he did it on both ends of the floor. Like he was the steady facilitator. He was the interchangeable defender who could work in so many different lineups. And that didn't necessarily show up in the stat sheet, but I'm, I'm glad that, that you and I and the fans did seem to recognize those contributions. Yeah. I think that's a great point is that if you have to, if you're tasked with replacing Stephen freaking Curry, like you can't really expect them to have like the, the improved net rating swing. And that's where that can be flawed and where the, where the context really matters there. Who came in at number seven though? 
So at number seven, we have Harrison Barnes, who we've already talked about. He was 10 for the fans. He was six for both of us. I don't really have anything to add beyond that, and we've already talked about him for other teams. So I'm, I'm cool moving on to number six if you want to. Well, I'm just going to say, I do think there's – look at what he was able to do. You, another guy who just had wing type of defensive range was okay – you know, defending fours as well. And then he did work as a complimentary offense, offensive piece. And I guess this doesn't really help his Warriors ranking, but later on you saw there was more to it, his game than that. But I, I think there's value in having someone like that who for so long played within this exact type of role. I just don't, where I really feel like the expectations ran amok is like, how, what was his path to stardom with Golden State? Like there wasn't he, much. Yeah, I mean, there, there wasn't any. And I, I think that's the biggest testament to him is that he was picked seventh overall in that 2012 draft. But there was there was talk about him being the number one pick before he played at North Carolina, like just this super hyped prospect. And for him to come into a team that already had this much offensive talent and be professional and be a positive locker room presence and be a positive on-court presence. I mean, I, I think Harrison Barnes's career could have gone a lot like Andrew Wiggins's in a different location. But the fact that he never pushed for that role is a really po- is, is a huge positive for him. The final two things I'll say about him is one, he should narrate audiobooks. I would buy and listen to those. Two, um, he is the king of entering free agency at the right time. Not only just going into free agency in 2016, which obviously isn't his choice. Like that's how your contract is structured when he signed his rookie scale deal. But then seeing what happened to like contracts after that and how how tight the market was in 2017 and a little bit in 2018. And then he hits it again in 2019 to claim that player option right before. And this, again, no one could have predicted this, but the, the NBA salary cap is about to implode. And so just the king of entering free agency at the right time. Kudos to Harrison Barnes. I have to follow up on the audiobook point, though, because I agree with you. He would be a great choice, but I, I am curious if he would be your number one choice among every NBA player ever. Because for me, I feel like I want Dikembe Mutombo to read audiobooks to my child. And if not him, like maybe Scottie Pippen. And I think he's my wife's number one choice after watching the first seven episodes so far of The Last Dance. Like every time he comes on the screen and talks, she's like, he needs that. That man needs to record audiobooks. Okay, I'm, I'm going to separate it like this. If it was like a children's show, I would want to hear Dikembe Mutombo. I don't find the Cookie Monster voice that relaxing and so that's I'm, fair like you don't want him to like read harry potter to you or something right and with scotty pippen if he was to host a painting show where he was going through step by step what he was doing on the canvas <laughs> bob ross style that's what i want to see from him and then harrison barnes can corner the market on the audiobooks how's that that's a great answer you've spent <laughs> way too much time thinking about this before i asked that question i didn't know that you were coming prepared to talk about nba audiobooks why do you think i asked if we could start an hour late i was just I was just preparing for this. I actually didn't ask that, but I've been preparing for that question my entire life. <laughs> who? So I had Harrison Barnes at number six, but who's actually at number six in the composite ranking? Actually, at number six is David Lee. He was sixth for the fan vote. He was seventh for both of us. We had very similar top 10 ballots, just a difference at number 10, and our second and third were switched around. So we're going to be consistently consistent here. I like it. Look, David Lee, was he had numbers when he was with the Warriors. He had uh, big numbers. I remember when he was signed and traded from from the Knicks. His like path to that contract with the Warriors was wild. He signed a one year deal with the Knicks. Like at for his his second contract was a one year deal, which you really just never see anymore. And then he gets signed and traded to them. I think was it a six year deal at the time? I couldn't even remember. It was for it was for a long time. Maybe it was only five. I'm looking at it right now. No, it looks like it was six. So 
uh, one of those final six-year deals. And look, he was a really good offensive player. He worked on the glass, pretty good passer, never had the range that I think you'd want a, a contemporary big to have. I think if you took prime David Lee right now, though, you could you could probably pretty easily get away with him offensively as a center. Defensively is a different story, but he he was good. I think he was just a, a quality guy, was never really valuable to the best version of the Warriors, but he was still he was still a good quality player. And I think his thereness factor here, when you, when you look at where he ranks um, in minutes played is fifth for the decade, that has to definitely count for something. And so just solid, just there. And so I wanted to put him in the middle. Yeah. One of the things you said in the lead up to recording this really resonated with me that the Warriors dynasty doesn't start without sacrificing David Lee. And like, if you, if we think back to that, the decision that Steve Kerr made, during the 2014-15 season and and playoffs to effectively move away from this 2010 all-star, the 20 points, 10 rebounds, not the year 2010, all-star threat and give so much run to Draymond Green. That was a bold decision at the time. It was was a controversial decision at the time, but it was also the impetus behind their success. Like without, without turning the keys over to this unheralded second round pick, who wasn't a big scorer, who wasn't always a big rebounder. Like we don't know what happens to these dynastic teams. Right. And that's not a knock against Lee. No, and it's look, there's there's a level of just happenstance here because if he doesn't get injured at the beginning of that season to where Draymond Green has to start, uh, is does Draymond Green ever see the starting lineup? That's a good question. I, it definitely took gall to stick with Draymond Green after the fact, but I'd be curious to see if, if David Lee never gets injured. What happens with these Warriors? Do we is at least Draymond Green the player that we know him to be today? And so that is just sort of an interesting side plot to everything that's happened with Golden State over these past five or six years. Yeah, no, I, I it's it's definitely an interesting hypothetical. But I again, I just I want to drive home the, the the point that them replacing Lee with Green is a testament to Green's excellence and the need for that kind of skill set on a growing and thriving team and not a knock against what Lee did during his prime years with Golden State because he's he's probably one of the more underrated players of the last decade. Like when was the last time you talked or thought about David Lee even though <laughs> he was a legitimate he was a legitimate all-star. Like there was there was no doubt that he belonged in that conversation but he's just kind of been lost over the last 10 years. Someone else who was probably, people just don't remember that he was a pretty good passer for someone at his position. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Who do we have at number five? I feel like this one is the no-brainer. Yeah, yeah, it is. Because he's he's very clearly the best of the role players um, who were a part of the dynasty, but he's not one of the four absolute stars. Despite the finals MVP that he probably shouldn't have gotten. And if you haven't figured out that we're talking about Andre Iguodala by now, then, hey, we're talking about Andre Iguodala at number five, who was fifth from the fans, me and you. Um, you know, what a, a consummate professional who always d- does what's needed to aid the winning cause, contributes on defense, contributes on the board. Some of the best hands we've ever seen for for knocking down shot attempts before they even get started. I think that's like the signature play I associate with Iguodala is that that rip strip um, as guys are going up for shots, I, I don't know how he does that so well. But yeah, I mean, can you say bad things about this guy? No, I don't even think it's, there's really, I don't have anything to add. I would ask two maybe bigger picture questions. One, I think is easy. Is Andre Godala a Hall of Famer? And two, did he deserve to win finals MVP in 2015? 
He didn't. I think I think we we gave too much credence to the idea that he slowed down, shut down, whatever LeBron James. Um, but I, I don't I don't think he deserved that award. It should have gone to either LeBron or to Steph. Um, in my opinion, um, I'm I'm still surprised by that decision. I do think the Hall of Fame question isn't really a no brainer. Um, oh. While we while we still have guys like Sean Marion who haven't made it. Um, I will use every opportunity to promote Sean Marion's Hall of Fame case. Um, I, I would put him in, but I think I'm a little bit more lenient with uh, with who I would want to include than, than a lot of people are. Um, the, to me, it, it comes down to, to the question of like, can you tell the story of, of basketball without him? And like, he was really, he was really good with Philadelphia and he was so vital to those Warriors teams but I, I don't know. Like, I, I, he's he's a great like sitting on the fence case for me, and I think I just I slightly lead, lean towards inclusion. I'm probably heavily leaning towards inclusion, but way to turn that into more of a debatable question than I thought it was going to be. Well, I'm curious what what Basketball References Hall of Fame probability, which again is based solely on the numbers, and they, yeah, they only have him at six point one percent, which which doesn't surprise me just because he doesn't necessarily have the statistical profile of a Hall of Famer, but so much of that is because he spent prime athletic years taking on lesser roles for winning teams, and there's there's something to be said for doing that. Yeah, and I mean, look, you it's tougher. How many people that have three championships that were playing a role on those teams are actually not in the Hall of Fame? Right. Guys, are you looking to last longer than the value of a New York Knicks first round draft pick? Get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com has the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use promo code BLUEWIRE, all one word. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E, Chew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. So speaking of questionable Hall of Famers, at number four, wow. we have Kevin. We have, <laughs> I mean, I, I hope you know I'm not serious. <laughs> I hope everyone thinks you're dead ass serious. Like your mentions <laughs> just become a firestorm. I mean, he's probably going to tweet at me now, right? Because it's, uh, so. it's 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 Kevin Durant at number four. Um, I had him at number four. You had him at number four. The fans had him at number three. Um, yeah, I mean, like, what a what a a strange couple of years it was. I. I remember being shocked by his decision to join the Warriors. Um, I was surprised that he wanted to leave the Warriors, though not necessarily shocked. But man, like those teams were so good while he was there, and he was so good. It, it, it felt like when he really just became everything on the basketball court. Yeah, 2016-2017 Golden State is probably the best team of all time in my book, even though that's not the the 73 win team, you just look at that talent and just how it's how easy it seemed like everything came to them. Just absolutely mind blowing. And look, the reason I wouldn't put him any higher is just because the team did at least prove it could win without him. I don't know if it gets too I mean, more. It, it proved it could win an NBA record 
number of games without him. Right, but then they blew a 3-1 to lead as well. I'm just saying, I don't know if they win two more titles if he doesn't come. I would say they get at right. least one, but I think that that's the easiest case to put him. Yeah, was he better than Clay? Was he better than Draymond? Yes, but they're in front of him because the thereness factor matters when they were actually such integral cogs in this mammoth winning machine before he came, and they're part of the reason that, that he showed up as well. I do... I, I was kind of surprised that he chose the Warriors at that time. I like didn't I guess I just couldn't imagine someone of that magnitude going to a 73 win team. I was not surprised at all by how it ended. I think it was almost written on the wall after just so many awkward moments. You look at Bob Myers at the was that the 2018 championship parade or was it the 2017, whichever one it was at this point. That thing just seemed so combustible because it was clear why Kevin Durant left to go to Golden State in the first place. But by doing that, he was, fair or not, going to cheapen every single feat that he did thereafter on that team. And so I could understand why he wouldn't feel fulfilled just by churning out championships there because people are never going to view them in the same vein as if he had won one in Oklahoma City or maybe now if he wins one in Brooklyn once he's healthy. Yeah, I, I, I get it from from his perspective. Um, I, I, I was still surprised just because it seemed like when that team went through those those moments of internal turmoil and adversity, they tended to come out on the right side of them. Like it seemed like Draymond Green and and Durant properly reconciled after their big brouhaha, right? Uh, but I also I, I do get why he left. I, I guess surprised might have have been the wrong word, even if there was some element of surprise, because ultimately, like for me. As good as Durant was in, in Oklahoma City, you know, a, a four-time scoring champion who had to sacrifice touches in Golden State, it it still felt like that was the Golden State was the location where he became the fully idealized version of himself. And for a, a, a superstar who does genuinely care about how he's perceived. And I want to make it clear that I'm not saying that as a negative. Like, I don't mean to have any negative connotations from that statement. But for a superstar who cares about how he's perceived by the general public, becoming the best version of himself, I thought would would supersede some of those maybe devalued team accomplishments. Because Golden State is where he became just a deadly secondary facilitator and a defensive weapon who could play at and thrive at almost every single position on the court and just like coming together, all, all the pieces coming together like that for me, I think that's why I was, I was still a bit surprised to see him leave and, and pursue success in a, in a new location. Yeah, that totally makes sense. I guess with all just the extracurricular stuff that was going on behind the scenes though, where you could tell that the right. teammates were wearing on one another when you factor in egos, that's probably where it functionally. Yeah. We probably saw the best version of Durant. We, had ever seen in some of those Golden State years. But I think you could just sense that he clearly wasn't f- fulfilled in that role. Mm-hmm. And that, in turn, we're starting to grade on those around him. Where we get to the controversy, though, between us is at the two and three spots. So who comes in at three? Yeah, can we talk about these together? Do you yeah. mind? So at number three, we have Draymond Green, who was number four from the fans. He was number three for you. He was number two for me. And then Clay Thompson barely beat him out for the second spot. He was second for the fans, third for me, and second for you. So I'm just I'm curious what the justification was. I'm not saying it was wrong because I think you can very easily go either way with these two players. But why did you have 
Clay higher than Draymond Green. So look, this season actually has a lot to do with it because I think it's clear that Draymond has benefited from his surroundings more than Clay Thompson necessarily has. And so like that aura of imagine if Draymond Green could run his own team, that mystique is gone. And part of that was his effort level. Clearly wasn't there. And Golden State actually had some good defensive moments with him on the court this year. And I'm I'm fine chalking this up to a gap year for him. But now we sort of know what happens with Draymond Green if you remove the superstars that are around him. And with Klay Thompson, I do feel like his role, it, there is more sacrifice into it. Just because he doesn't have the same... Yes, he can do stuff in the post. He can create his own looks. Do I think that he has another level as a facilitator if he was given more touches? I, I honestly don't know. But there's just been more of a sacrifice there for him. And the fact that you combine that with, you know, his defensive responsibilities did not make the Warriors identity, but because he can defend one through three, that's an absolute huge deal. And it's it's helped Stephen Curry. It's made so many defensive assignments that you have to worry about not just throughout the regular season but in playoff series these just afterthoughts because you can count on clay to really do great things on ball and i don't think that's always reflected in the advanced metrics because one it's so hard to just quantify defense i think everyone agrees that right. that's just the hardest aspect of basketball to to uh, objectively quantify so i i just i respect all that and when i'm going to combine what what he's done what he sacrificed with maybe what we now know about Draymond Green that, yeah, you know, the shootings never really come around. The 2016 year was sort of an, an aberration. Does it matter a little bit that he was someone who really butt heads with Kevin Durant? I think that could be a case against him. And then I think offensively, yes, he's a talented passer. He can really do things when he gets moving downhill. But if you don't have Stephen Curry and Clay Thompson around Draymond Green at the same time, I think you're looking at a vastly inferior version of Green. And you could say the same thing about Klay Thompson if you remove the other two. I just don't think it would be as inferior relative to to where he's at right now. I, I guess the the biggest point I would want to rebut is the idea that this current season is evidence against Draymond Green being higher than Clay in these rankings. Just because I, I wonder if those situations were reversed, would it be any better? Because for me, like Clay, Clay is the player who I think is a bit more dependent on his teammates, and we're largely splitting hairs here. And, and it was ultimately like the intangible benefits that that Draymond Green possesses that pushed him ahead for me. Just because I I think that he lent his competitive fire and his versatility to those teams, and and really became like the heart and soul of those team those teams' mental states, um, which wasn't always a good thing but I think it was mostly a good thing. Um, I don't know that they become a defensive juggernaut without him. I don't know that the Splash Brothers are truly unlocked without his passing and facilitating. I don't know that we see the death lineups without him. Um, just, again, like there, there are marginal hair-splitting differences between these guys, but I actually kind of viewed it the opposite, where if I was placing each of them in a vacuum, I think I might have more success with Draymond as the centerpiece of that team, because I think that that Clay is ultimately more dependent on those around him, which is in no way a knock on him. He's one, he's one of the absolute best ever we've seen in the role that he fills. But I think it's a, ultimately like a smaller role than the one that, that Green has filled. I Those are fair points. I think where we might really differentiate is I think Draymond Green is just as reliant on those around him. It just comes or manifests in a different form. Because with Clay Thompson, it's easier to view him as more of this complimentary 
you know, star dependent score because he just, there are games where he just doesn't have to dribble. But with Draymond Green, if you take the dribbling out of the equation for him, or if you need him to shoot, or if you need him to create without three above average shooters around him at all time, times, I think that's where he's going to run into problems. And I think if you gave Clay Thompson the ball more and asked him to create from scratch, that he's going to have more success in a similar situation this season than, than Draymond Green would. But you know, it is fair because maybe you could argue I, there's definitely the emotional bellwether stuff absolutely matters. I, I totally get that. Um, right. And you can and also I, the facilitating too. I don't know if you put the ball in, in Clay Thompson's hands, is he going to get to a, let's say a Kawhi Leonard level of facilitating? I don't, I don't know if he would ever get there. My guess would be, would be no. And so I do think yeah, those probably are not. fair points, but I don't think he's more of a complimentary talent or star dependent talent than Draymond Green, just because he dribbles less. I think that Draymond Green's right. dependence just shows itself in, in a different way. And part of it is the the replaceability of what they bring. Um, you know, Clay is is one of the best three and D guys ever. But if you replace him with a lesser three and D guy, are those teams successful? Probably not. Are they championship caliber teams? Probably so. I, I think it's harder to find the guy like Draymond who doesn't need to score double digit points. But you know, we have we have video evidence of him guarding like four different guys on one possession. And then getting a rebound and running a fast break capably. And I, I think it's it's harder to find a player like that, which might not necessarily be an argument for him over Clay, but is an argument in his favor as just like an absolute era defining star. I, I that's fair. I, I think it's we're both at the point where it's a discussion, and I think that's where it needs to be. I'd be curious though, it does seem like people probably default more towards your stance where it's just assumed. I feel like at this point, at least I would say close to the majority would say Draymond Green is the the second best player in, or the second, let's just say the second most important warrior during this decade. The fans actually didn't think it was particularly close, particularly close. Um, Clay was between second and fourth on every single ballot. Um, Green dropped down to seventh and eighth on a couple of them. Now that's weird. It is weird. And I, I think that might be some personality grading on voters would be my guess there. But there was a pretty clear stratification between two and three in the fan vote. But this does lead me into my once per episode trivia question. So oh, if you crap. want to put your thinking hat on, you ready for this one? Yeah, it's on. Okay, so throughout NBA history, seven different players have averaged single digit points while making at least three all-star teams. Draymond Green is one of them, and I'm curious how many of the other six you can name. Four of them, four of them I don't think you will get because they played in the 40s, 50s, and 60s. So I can even spot you those and see if you can get the two modern era players who join him in the club. Ben Wallace in fact, one? In fact, I'll do that. I'll do that. Paul Seymour, Andy Phillip, Dick McGuire, and Slater Martin. I would have gotten exactly four, zero of those names. Right. Those are the four early era ones. Ben Wallace is one of them. Okay. Whew. Dennis Rodman? Rodman is not one. All right. And I'm I'm guessing it's because I I should have known this off the top of my head, but yeah, only two all-star appearances. This is rough, but I can't, I don't want to The third one, the third one. I'm going to give you some hints. Okay. I'm going to give you some hints. He's a Hall of Famer. He made eight all-star appearances. He led the league in blocks three times. And he was a four-time defensive player of the year. Oh no. How am I not going to get this one? This is going to look so bad. I'm just making it look worse and worse for you. Yeah. Oh, my God. Four time. I should know that one right off the bat. He played for six different teams and wore jersey number 55 for all of them. 
It's not Dikembe, is it? It's Dikembe. I don't think I didn't think his scoring was ever that low. I also yeah. think I momentarily forgot that he had four DPOIs. Those he averaged Dikembe. nine point eight points per game throughout his career, but he did score in double digits every year for the first eleven seasons of his career. It was just those smaller roles that he took at the end of his career that that depressed the uh, the career long scoring tally. But well done. I mean, you did you did ultimately one. get all three. That's fine. I'm, I'm going to give you credit for all of them. Hey, look, this I is knew the best. It's it's the best you've done on any of these really hard trivia questions. No, what was the one I knew most of the teams where Joe Johnson played? That's true. Or maybe it was Vince Carter. No one knew Vince Carter played for Phoenix. I just want. I just want. I, to I still that. don't believe that it yeah, happened. It never happened. There is no conversation to be had at number one, though, right? No, it's pretty obvious. It's it's Steph Curry. He was uh, number one for both of us. He was number one in all but one of the fan ballots. Somebody did have him second with Kevin Durant first, which I guess like on some level, I don't agree with it, but I guess I, I, I get the logic. Like if you want to say that Durant reached the highest level of any player in Golden State, which I still disagree with because of Steph's unanimous MVP season, but I'm I'm trying to justify it on on behalf of our faithful Hardwood Knox fan. I just don't know. Even if you wanted to say that Kevin Durant was the Warriors' best player during his three years there, which is a conversation, I don't know that I necessarily side with it. How do you not like factor in Steph's thereness? He won a title before Durant came. Like, and again, I mean, the, as we've already seen, like what this is what like our eighth episode of these ninth, maybe I, I, I've lost count. But how many people have we seen that have spent the entire decade in the same spot? Very few. LeBron changed teams like eight times in the same decade. I think it was 11. All right. That's my bad. But yeah, he's just, Stephen Curry's fantastic. Um, do you think him or Durant is going to go down higher on the all-time rankings? Because I think there's a case to be made that Stephen Curry's well. peak was better. His average might have been better. But there's like, Kevin Durant's stardom has definitely been longer than Steph so far. Yeah, I, I think Steph might already be higher. I, I have not paid any mind to that ESPN top 74, but I'd be curious who's higher in that one right now. Um, but I, I also think his, his game is going to age better. You know, what if he accepts like a Kyle Korver-like role where he's just this deadly off-ball weapon deep into his 30s and has 50,000 more threes than anyone else has ever made until <laughs> Trey Young beats that mark, um, as opposed to Durant, who's now coming off an Achilles injury? And probably already doesn't have a game that will age quite as well because he hasn't been as prominent an off-ball weapon. Um, I, I think Steph might already be ahead, and that's probably the is probably only going to go further ahead because just with the factoring in the the injuries now, the conversation is probably not will Steph finish ahead of Durant. I, I think it it could be an overwhelming yes there. It's is has he already surpassed him? And that's that's probably the conversation. I honestly don't know where I lean with that, to be honest with you. What's the Steph myth that frustrates you most? Like for me, I think it's still the, like the defense. It's still the, it's the fact that, that we haven't accepted he's a decent defender, and there's nothing wrong. We don't have to operate in this in this polarity, like where he's either a great defender or he's a terrible one. Like he's a decent defender. Do you know why in part he's decent? Plays next to Clay Thompson. Second best player in sure. Warriors. Sure, he gets decade. easier assignments, but like his core is so strong and he's able to hold position against bigger players and he has great hands and he understands positioning well. Like he doesn't have the tools to be a shutdown all defensive player, but he's been decent throughout his career. Yeah, and particularly during the most important years of the Warriors, I would say he's been better than below average, which is super important at the point guard position. Right. I think people say it doesn't matter when you have someone like Clay next to you, 
if your point guard is better than below average, average to better, that's huge. I think for me, it would just be him fading in the playoffs. He's actually dealt with injuries, and I won't use anything as an excuse for why they blew that 3-1 to one lead either, but he wasn't bad in the 2016 finals when you look at the numbers. Like, he just right. wasn't bad. The Cavaliers just had a moment. Like, it, kudos to the to the Cavaliers. And so the, the narrative that he's just not good in the playoffs or really fades in the playoffs has always really, like, peeved me. That, and the defensive one is there. I think we've at least moved away from he's uh, just a shooter. I think people understand now that the, the yeah. slights of hand he has off the dribble mean so much the gravity that he has for others and then just his finishing elsewhere floaters the tricks he has around around the rim one of the biggest misconceptions about this team though is that they always associate the warriors with three-point volume and yet during those kevin durant years specifically they were really heavily reliant on the mid-range game and that's that's a team-wide uh misconception to me but that's always one i found interesting it was why do people just assume they thought golden state was just like this trendsetter for three-point volume and and really, it it wasn't. That's Houston, first of all. Right. But even after right. them, it's not Golden State. No, I, I agree with you. Yeah, I, I think the the playoff thing is is my runner up. Specifically, that people like to criticize him for not having a Finals MVP. That's ridiculous. Like he's played at a really high level in those. And I think my my third place one is that he crossed over Chris Paul and made him fall down. Nope, he stepped on his ankle. Watch the video. <laughs> uh, oh, the, the other thing with him too is I don't think people appreciate all that he gave up by helping recruit Durant. We've seen right. that where stars wouldn't do the same. Derrick Rose in Chicago, um, for one. I think that was notorious. He didn't want to help recruit Melo in 2014. And I'm sure there's been other instances of that, but he had to make a sacrifice. Those finals MVPs might have been his, one of his sacrifices with Kevin Durant, is that you're going to go to Kevin Durant because he's taller and can shoot over the top of people when it matters most. And that's not to diminish what Kevin Durant do and say it's just because he's tall. It's absolutely not. He has the skills of of a freaking guard, but Stephen Curry made sacrifices and willingly accepted someone who he knew was going to infringe upon his spotlight, his importance, his perception um, to win. And I still respect that. That's like an intangible quality that matters. And also one of the lowest maintenance superstars out there, just because how many times did you hear Joe Lacob or Reed? I shouldn't say here, Joe Lacob, Steve Kerr, just talk about how great Durant was or when they might've called him the best player in the world when you have the only unanimous MVP in NBA history on your team right. there beforehand, this dynasty definitely doesn't get started without them. He, I think it's Stephen Curry gave the Warriors their identity and then Draymond Green found a way to optimize it is really what it is. And so there's, that's an underrated aspect of, of his legacy as well. And I think it's too often that gets then pitted against what Durant did. And that's probably where it becomes too taxing because they're both great players, but it seems like Stephen Curry was almost underappreciated within the organization during these past, let's say, three to four years, or maybe even before Durant came there? I don't know if it was underappreciation so much as they knew that they didn't have to waste their time appreciating him. That's also true. But I this is this is tangential, but we did just talk about Steph and Kevin Durant, so I'm, I'm curious what you think. There was the, you know, one of the many ridiculous opinions that comes out of first take, but one that one that irked me was uh, was Max Kellerman saying that that Kyrie Irving is the most skilled offensive player of all time, and I, I'm I'm curious. I, I would have both Steph and and Durant above him in those rankings, but I, I'm curious who you would have for that that conversation. I don't know who would you have. I think Durant is the choice for me, just like the guy who can who can do absolutely everything 
on offense, especially like the version that we saw in Golden State, where he was a really deadly passer as well. But like, you know, the the seven footer who sorry if that's not his listed height, but the seven footer who can get a shot wherever he wants, whenever he wants, however he wants it, um, who has the handles of a, a six foot guard who can pass like a guard, you know, just he he has the absolute total package. And I think we often mistake flashiness for effectiveness looking at looking at you Kyrie um and you know I I get if you want to make an argument for 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 Michael Jordan or or Kobe Bryant just because they had such an effective arsenal of offensive tricks but I I just it's Durant for me I think uh yeah I, I, I think I'd probably agree with you there that's an airtight case do you have any airtight cases for the honorable mentions though for the people, oh, I have a yes, I have a very airtight, I have a very airtight case against the uh, the man who ended up eleventh in the fan vote, which was somehow Baron fucking Davis, who did not play for Golden State this decade. Like Golden State fans, what are you doing? Like we believe team was awesome. Davis had some ridiculous moments. Like the posterization of Andre Kirilenko is an all time moment in this franchise's history. But like. What? He's eleventh. <laughs> <laughs> when you texted me that, I couldn't believe it. That's just so funny. Right. It's like, what is happening here? He got a fucking second place vote. <laughs> Was Steph at least first on that ballot? I hope. Let me check on that one. Let, let's let's look at that full ballot. In fact, <laughs> Baron Davis being number two is something. You know the the rest of it was was defensible. It was uh, Steph at first, Baron Davis second, Clay Thompson third, Andre Iguodala fourth, Kevin Durant fifth, Jeremy Lin was sixth, which is interesting, Draymond Green is seventh, Andrew Bogut is eighth, and I don't care was ninth and tenth. <laughs> <laughs> so shout out to that fantastic ballot. <laughs> uh, the Jeremy Lin thing makes me think that it was a joke because I hope so. Clearly, that he was there for like a hot second. Um, so. So at uh, at twelfth we had Javale McGee, who I, I I thought about at ten. Same for Zaza Pachulia at thirteen and David West at fourteen. Um, that was that was not the only vote that Jeremy Lin got because he ended up uh, at fifteenth, tied with uh, tied with Darrell Wright. Uh, at seventeen we had Leandro Barbosa and Jordan Crawford tied. I'm surprised 19- Barbosa wasn't a little bit higher. I know he was right. only there for two seasons, but. He doesn't deserve to be tied with Jordan Crawford. Um, at 19, we had D'Angelo Russell, Festus Azili, and Kevin Looney. And tied for 22nd, we had DeMarcus Cousins, Jarrett Jack, Ish Smith, Jordan Bell, Eric Pascal, Brandon Rush, and Maurice Spates. We did also have like nine different ways of spelling Sean Livingston. So maybe he gets <laughs> uh, credit for that. Nine? Besides A.W.? What, what what was the alternative? There was an E A N. There was a S H A W N. There was an S H O N E. There was an S A N Livingston. There was a Livingstone. Okay. Yeah, there were people got creative. <laughs> the, I'm surprised Spates was so low. He, I was the only yeah. person who put him on any ballot, which right. shocked me. Like Mo Buckets, he was he was an institution in Golden State for those three years. That's the best way to put it. He was an institution. I wouldn't have I didn't put him in the top ten, obviously. But I, I don't think he objectively belongs in the top ten. But like I just I associate him with those Warriors teams. 
Yeah, that that's hysterical. That oh, oof. kind of a rough. Were you surprised anyone didn't get any votes at all? That's not on that list. No Wiggins. Come on, he spent like a half year there. He's gonna get them Giannis. Why is that anyone didn't get any votes? I don't think so. I think we covered like basically everyone who mattered to those teams. I think it was I was surprised that that Festus didn't get a little bit more love. Like I know that his career was a little disappointing because of the injuries, but he was really good when he was healthy for a little bit. Like it seemed like they had another like blossoming star in him. Just can't believe no one, no James Michael McAdoo. None, none at all. Mm. None at all. No Jordan Poole. Well. <laughs> Damian no. Lee. Kai Bowman. Like, have people been watching this season? We did get a Pascal vote. I, w- I wasn't sure if anyone was going to oh, vote. That was uh, that was from the one and only Jacob Bourne. Yeah, I wasn't going to name him again. But... I'm, I'm going to. He's got two shout outs on this pos- on this podcast, and I'm not sure that either of them are positive. No, he should not be top ten. He could. He was. He was a standout contributor for a team that had was the worst record in the league, second worst record in the league. This is the problem too with the NBA being closed. I haven't looked at the standings in forever because I haven't needed to. Like I've forgotten. I could probably name the playoff teams. That's fine. But the lottery teams, I have no idea where any of them are anymore. Yeah, it's all a mishmash. Who knows? This was fun, though. When we come back, it'll be with the Houston Rockets. Until then, please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever else you consume your podcast. Follow Adam on Twitter at Frommel09. Until next time, I leave you all with a shout-out to the one, the only, the legendary Vladimir Rodmanovich.